Welcome to SaaS Talks from Lead to Close, where I'll be sharing with you everything that I've learned to close leads. I went from quitting my first sales job because I was too scared to talk to strangers to becoming a VP of sales for multiple tech startups where I built a sales team from scratch and led them to an acquisition. I'll teach you how to schedule more demos on your calendars, close at least 50% of your demos, and build a pipeline large enough so you're always hitting quota. If you're looking to scale, then turn the volume up. All right, everybody. Today, we have another special monthly guest, Anthony Natoli. He's a strategic account executive at Lattice. He's also the former commercial account executive at Outreach. He's also the co-founder of The Up and Up, a private community for sales professionals focused on elevating their sales skills and most importantly, importantly, prioritizing their mental health. The topic that we're going to talk about today, or Anthony's really going to talk about um, in terms of tactical strategies to do is prospecting frameworks and using systems to build a quality pipeline. It was on purpose that I mentioned that he was also the former commercial AE at Outreach because Outreach, if you don't know what Outreach is, go Google it. Um, they're very well known for their email marketing engagement tools. Um, and so this speaks to the credibility of Anthony. Um, and he's already surpassed quota. Um, and he and you generate a lot of leads doing outbound stuff. So I'm going to pass the mic to you. I'm, I'll stay true to the episode um, and I'll put 20 minutes on the clock. If it bleeds over, it bleeds over. I, I might do a time check from time to time, but uh, it's all yours. You have the floor. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Um, you know, my my theory is that AEs want more pipeline, yet they hate prospecting. And my experience tells me they hate prospecting because they feel like when they come in every day, they're winging it. And when I dug deeper into this, I also found out that SDRs, BDRs are also winging it every day. And this kind of blew my mind because people invest in all these tools, whether it's like outreach, sales loft, these data tools, you've got all these manager sales enablement and people still don't know how to properly manage their day, their time and how to effectively prospect. Mm -hmm. And so my experience also tells me that you know, there's a, there's a right and a wrong way to prospect in the macro. Now, micro, there's a lot of different tips and tricks out there that you can follow. And I'm a firm believer that there's not a one size fits all approach, but I do believe in a certain approach in the macro sense of prospecting. And I think that approach can help you scale your prospecting across all the different channels. And so um, what I firmly believe in is that you don't have to be a product feature functionality expert of what you sell, but you do have to be a problem expert of what you sell. And what I mean by that is the first thing that you should do when you think about prospecting, this is for anyone that's new to sales or currently in sales to reevaluate your messaging, is understand the top three personas that you sell to that buy your solution and understand the top three problems that they have. I think what happens is we get really focused on problems and discovery and demo, but we don't bring those problems up when we prospect. Now, a lot of people, when they prospect, they're talking about you know, their company, their feature functionality, all their customers. Your prospect doesn't know what problems you solve yet, so it's irrelevant to them. So the way that I prospect is 
uh, focused on problem statements. And I lead with those relevant problem statements because that's what helps prospects connect the dots about what you offer, what problems you solve, and the relevant reason you're reaching out. So that was kind of a long-winded answer, but hopefully that gives some context on how I approach things. Yeah, for sure. So a um, couple of questions, follow-up questions. Um, first, I mean, I'll repeat the, the steps. First one is understand the top three personas that peop- that buy your, your solution. I mean, if you're an AE or even an SDR, I mean, if you're an SDR that's doing this or an AE that's doing the outbound process, um, would you say that the VP of sales or the sales manager or the SDR manager, whatever it is, they should have this documented? Or are you finding that they don't really have it documented? I'm finding that it's it's somewhere, right? It's in case study. It's with sales enablement. But it's not coached. Like that, that idea is not coached until like there's a sales site, right? You're taught to uncover these problems in discovery. But what would happen if we booked meetings based on these problems? You make your AE AE's job uh, easier. And if you're an AE that's prospecting and you're leading with problems, you make your life easier there as well. And so um, it could be somewhere, but the best thing you could do is ask the top rep at the company, hey, the last five deals you closed, why the hell did they buy our software? What problems were they looking to solve? And start there. I'd also recommend um, if you're, I mean, if you, this is more of a message to the to the sales leader, founder, or VP of sales that's listening to this episode. <clears throat> um, but I believe, and I'm a big believer in capturing certain pieces of data that your team can later use and even you use as business. So like capturing the buyer, pers- like cre- if you're using HubSpot, create a field on the deal record called uh, buyer persona or type of buyer, whatever it is, and have a drop down list of which type of buyer you worked with. Um, and then the AE would fill that out as they're working the deal. And then at the end of the month, you can run a report on which deals won and who the buyer personas were for that deal. or what. The, and then maybe the problem that they're trying to solve as another field. And then if there's more than one problem, then they can do a multi-select. And then you can, again, run a report at the end of the month and then show at the end of the month, we won uh, you know, 30 deals, 50 deals as a team, 50, 60 deals as a team. And majority of the deals that you won, they all had these particular problems. I mean, this is more of a message to a founder VP of sales. Um, but then it makes it a lot easier for the for the AEs and SDRs to go back to the run the reports and then say, okay, let me work my prospecting list based on that. Um, then you said understand there, there are three top three problems. Um, I, I'm assuming it's the same thing. It, it exists somewhere. Like how when you joined uh, uh, outreach. And Lattice, how did you find the top three personas? How did you find the top three buyer, uh, the top three problems? Yeah, it's a really good question. So um, I asked, I said, listen, we're doing a lot of this product training and that's great. It's important for me to know what the product does. But I pushed back and I said, okay, what does this feature enable? What does it solve? What does it do? Why would someone care about this? So you need to ask those types of questions when you're getting all this great product training Because what happens is if you focus on just the product and the features and functionality, that can get very overwhelming quick because there's a learning curve. But if you can understand the problems, well, then you're off to the races because that's what prospects ultimately care about. And then you don't have to be a product expert to start prospecting. So it's about asking. It's about reading case studies. Case studies do a great job of painting the picture of what life was like before, why they bought, 
your solution and then what the outcomes were afterwards. So I think reading through case studies, asking the top reps of like, why do people invest sometimes six figures and months of their time and putting their name on the line to buy your solution? There has to be something, right? And so once I understand the problem statements, it goes problem statements, symptoms of those problems, the impact on the person, right? The impact on that persona, the impact on the business, and then how your company solves it. If I have those, like you think about in a spreadsheet, the persona, the problem statement, the symptoms, the impact, I can now create and craft a call script. I can create and craft a relevant email, all that's focused on industry peer problems that I know personas like them have because people have already bought our solution to solve it. So what happens is when you propose that problem, a couple things happen. They're either not, they're either not having that problem or they're having the problem and they don't realize that there's stuff out there to solve it. And so you're shining a light on it or they have that problem and they're using a, a competitor of yours to try and solve it. And what that allows you to start to do is to start to do some discovery around that when you're on the phone with them, right? But without you illuminating and proposing that problem when you're prospecting, it's not going to matter to them. You're not going to get the information you need for them to connect the dots in their head that they should care about what mm -hmm. you are offering. Yeah. So proposing the problem in an email, you mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned the three-way, you either... They either have a problem, they either don't know they have a problem, but they have one, or they actually don't have a problem. How do you, what are some uh, tactical call it variations of problem posing questions that you can recommend somebody um, to use in an email? Yeah, so I think it's a little bit different in an email. So I don't ask the question, I don't ask the question in the email, I'll propose it as a, a problem statement. Okay in the email, but I will ask it in a, a call. So um, the problem statement in an email may sound something like this. You know, most people teams that we speak with at Lattice tell us that they are more reactive than they are strategic, not because they're of their people or their programs, because of the tools available to them, right? And so that would be a way that I'm proposing a problem to someone over email. And now I may say the same problem on a call, but I would ask them about it. I would say- Are you, are you talking about cold call or like a discovery call? Cold call, cold okay. call. So I would say uh, once, they, once I get past the opener and they let me explain why I was calling, I would say, hey, I noticed you're the CPO over at XYZ Company. We're working with a lot of organizations like yours. And they tell us that their people teams are more reactive than they are strategic. And as a result, they're not investing the full amount into their people. And as a result, their top performers and high potentials are at risk at leaving. I'm curious, how are you go going about investing in your top performers? Or how are you going about identifying um, the programs you need to run to make sure your top performers stay, right? So you're asking them an open-ended question about the problem statement related to how you know you can solve it. Gotcha. Okay. So the, 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 if it's on a call, you're, it, there's more context and obviously because it's on a call, so it's a lot easier. If it's an email, it's more of a statement. Um, and then what's your call to, I'm assuming that's the first email that goes out. How does that yep. email end? Is this, do you write, do you ask, is this something that happens in your world? Like what is your, what have you found to be successful? Yeah. Great question. So I structure my email 
um, like this. So the first line is the relevancy, the reason, the trigger you were reaching out, right? Let's just say I, I listen to a podcast that Chief People Officer does. I can get a nugget that relates to the problem statement. So I'm going to reach out that first line of relevancy of like, listen to your podcast, feels like you might be focused on X, Y, Z, and then insert the second line is the problem statement. And then the third line is how your solution solves that problem statement. And then the call to action is something like open to learning more about what I just said, because the three sentences connect. Yep. And I'm not asking for time. I'm asking, is this interesting enough to take a look? Is this something that you're experiencing today? And you're, you're trying to get a sense of their interest in what you just proposed to them, right? And what happens is they'll respond back and say, we're using your competitor or we don't have budget for something like this. And that's the best thing that can happen because now you have information and you know what's kind of going on in their world and you can start to not overcome it, but lean into that objection right. and understand what that actually means. I mean, I'm assuming, and this is obviously like sort of an obvious question. I have, I have a few follow-up questions here. Um, if the, I think the biggest, I don't say challenge, maybe for an early stage startup versus like a not as early, but if you don't know the buyer persona really well and you don't know the exact problems, your reply rates aren't going to be high. If you know the buyer persona really well and the problems that actually associate to it, I'll give you an example. Um, I am in the process of moving apartments. There's a bunch of boxes behind me. And I'm, so I'm dealing with movers, logistics. It's a pain in the ass. Um, if I opened up, I was thinking about a time, like if I opened up a moving company, I'd have probably one of the most profitable moving companies in the world because I was, I was paying attention to the motions of the move. And I was like, really, I know what the pain is like. And so everything, all the features or the copywriting or the content would be around this. And so I know what it feels like to be a tenant moving. Um, it would probably be very easy for me to land prospects for my business because I know what they went through because I went through it, um, which as an analogy goes back to the reply rate. Um, my question is, if what do you think gets you more of the reply? It, I'm not the open rate is a subject line, but the reply is it the relevancy like out of the email structure that you have that first email, the relevancy statement, the problem statement, or the call to action? What do you think attributes to? I know it's all of them, but what do you think gets yeah. them to say, ah, this is interesting? Let me continue reading. It's connecting the dots of the the the, the relevancy piece is more of getting them to open it. Okay, right. The relevancy should connect to the subject line. But what gets them to reply is the problem statement and the the third line of how you solve it. Because okay. what happens is if I'm if I'm proposing a problem that I know other chief people officers have, it's gonna land with most chief people officers because it's an industry peer type problem. Like let's talk about retention. Every chief people officer wants to retain their top talent. So my subject line could be like retaining your top talent. That's catchy, right? Every, I know every chief people officer is focused on that. So let me illuminate a potential problem that they may try to be solving, but they don't realize that Lattice exists or a solution like Lattice exists. And now I'm illuminating the potential problem that she, uh, he or she may be having or they're trying to solve or it's a big initiative for, for later in the year. And then I propose how I can solve it. And then I ask them, is this interesting enough to learn more? And you get a gauge of where they're at. Are they using a competitor? 
is it an initiative for H2 that they're looking to solve and you just met them at the right time? Or um, you get other objections, right? Like, we haven't yeah. thought about this, but it's not in the cards for, you know, uh, this year or whatever, right? So it's allowing them, the second and third line allows them to connect the dots in their head. It's more of like a psychology play. If you if I just said, hey, these are all my features, well, like, what problem are you solving? Yeah. If you don't, doesn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't allow them to connect the dots that way. Are you, or if you, let's just say somebody's listening to this and they're sending emails to a CRO, VP of sales, whatever, which I feel like most of the folks on LinkedIn are probably doing something like that or an HR manager. Um, Are you posing three potential top problems in that one problem statement or only one? Great, great question. So I, I do one problem statement per email because what that allows me to do is have two Multiple other emails. Yeah, exactly. Two other really powerful problem statements. And then, let, so let's say you present, you send the first email with the problem statement number one. Let's for a minute just say that your second email bump is just a thoughts, like, hey, thoughts, John, or thoughts, Anthony, whatever. Let's just say, because I do that. It usually works. So let's say now your third or four, your, your future bumps, your future emails are going to include other problem statements. How are you introducing those? Are you saying, oh, by the way, are you also dealing with this? Like, what do you, how are you, like the formulation of the words? Yeah. You don't have to so, give exact uh, I know you probably, you know, that, that's giving you a competitive edge as an AE at, at Lattice, but if you can maybe create a scenario where it doesn't like infringe on your sort of. No, no, you're good. <laughs> you're good. So um, the, the structure is I'll send, I'll obviously have calls and LinkedIn touches mixed into this, but sure. it's the pro, uh, problem statement email. It's a relevant bump email. So I actually take any thoughts a step further. I'll say any thoughts considering, um, you're trying to retain your top people, right? Or whatever the the problem statement or the relevancy is, I'll like kind of make make mm. sure that that touch also includes a piece of relevancy. Um, so it's not wasted real estate. But again, like A-B test it, see if that works for you. Yep. The third touch responding to that other thread is a validation statement. So it's it's bringing some validation to the problem that you're illuminating that you actually have experience solving. So maybe it's a case study or it's a piece of content, right? Just giving them more value to validate the problem statement of like, hey, other industry peers like yours have came to us to solve this problem. And then- Is that, is that, that, is that, the, sec- is that the second problem that they're coming? That's No, that's the, that's the same problem, third email. So okay. it's problem statement one, bump email, and then a value Validation. add to validate that initial problem statement. And then I start a new thread mm. in the same sequence with problem statement number two. And I follow that same sequence of touches until I get to problem statement number three. Um, when you're, when you, when you think starting a new thread, it, it's a, you're not, it's, a, it's not the same thread. It's a brand new thread. Exactly. And then, and then the email, the, the form, the, form, the, the, the structure of the email, is it being read the same way as the first email where you're yep. bringing up, it's like, hey, uh, we speak to customer. Like, is the prospect not going to be like, oh, this sounds exactly like this just seems like a template. Like he's just copying the same template as the first email. Yeah. So it all goes back to the uh, the first line uh, of the email is relevant to the problem you're about to propose. So as long as that first line of relevancy is tied to the problem, um, that that's kind of what I'll do. What people make a mistake is thinking like, Hey, saw you went to XYZ college and then going right into the problem statement. Right. Like there's no, no trying no, to be personalized no without exactly trying to be personalized without being <clears> relevant <throat> does doesn't work. So um I will. And again, it's it's like if someone 
But my thing is like, if they saw that email and they opened it a bunch of times, I'm going to call them, you know? Um, yeah, and I'm, sure. I'm going to say, you know, Hey, is Anthony, does that ring a bell? And I know it rings a bell because they've opened my email six times or whatever it is. And I'll propose that same problem on the call. I'm going to, I'm going to push a little bit forward uh, or push yeah. on this topic forward. What's an exact, cause you gave us an example of an e the first email that goes out with the first problem statement. Let's fast forward. You're on, uh, you're, you're about to send out a secondary, uh, another email with a secondary problem statement. How does that sound? Yeah. So, um, that would sound something like, um, it, it, it's tough to give a, a perfect example just because, um, I'm think I'll think of one with, with outreach, right? So the problem statement would be that I, I think I sent you this example, but mm -hmm. forecasting is a nightmare. So like, um, it would be, Hey, uh, feels like you're, uh, focused on, you know, making sure that your forecasting is intact uh, for your upcoming board meetings as a pre-IPO company, wondering if you feel the same way that a lot of our customers do, period, and then going into the problem statement. We hear that forecasting is a nightmare problem statement because of symptoms, which are, it takes six to eight hours of your day, which causes a lot of anxiety and takes away a lot of time from you being able to coach and manage your teams which might mean a inaccurate forecasting for your business. So you're, finding, you're the, finding a few different variations to introduce the problem statement, problem statement number one, problem statement number two, number three. Yep, exactly. So like for a CRO, forecasting being a nightmare is one pro problem statement number one. And then I'm including some of the symptoms of that problem statement in the, in the email as well. Would you say that some of, um, uh, well, let me ask you this secondary other question. Um, how many in total, let's just say emails, not LinkedIn bumps and, and calls, how many emails are going out for one lead typically, yeah, or you would, would, you would recommend? It would be nine. So it would be the three per problem statement that you would have. Okay. So it would be a problem statement and then maybe a, could a follow-up email be a symptom of the problem statement? Yeah, it could be. Um, I, you could even say, let's st stick on the forecasting one. Um, Hey, any thoughts on this considering, you know, forecasting is usually taking other CROs 68 hours of time. Interesting. I feel like it's, if you're working for a company that's been around like Lattice and, 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 and Outreach and, you know, uh, Gong, it'll, they have the data to, for, to support your claim. Yeah. And, and, and use these information. If you're working for like a, if you're trying to, I don't want to say find a product market because it's a lot harder, obviously. Um, I think it's whoever's listening to this, depending on where you're at in the company, whether if you, even if you're a founder and sending out emails, um, you're essentially looking, you're trying to, you're emailing also to find data. In in your case, if you're an AE that is working for a company that's been around for a few years and there's a product market fit, you already have the data. Now you just have to use the data to properly get a response. For example, I launched my business eight months ago. Um, I have certain theories, but I'm also, I mean, I think I have product market fix, I have clients and business doing well, but I'm also like sort of throwing out feelers of different problem statements to see which one responds. How much time do you spend on finding relevancy for the first line of that email, whether it's a podcast or whatever it is? Yeah. So it depends I, on the whole, if I'm reaching out to like a uh, director and below, I'm using the account research as the relevancy. And then okay. I can give you an example, but if I'm looking at like a tier one account, like a tier one prospect, like a CRO, I'm going to try to find a personalized relevant nugget that I can for that 
for that specific per, uh, person. So like account research would be if I'm selling to the enterprise, like 10 Ks or maybe mm. they're downloading content or uh, investor calls or um, analyst questions on those earnings calls. Right. So like I'm using the relevant account triggers to reach out to those people. But when it's like a C-level contact, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on finding the relevant nugget on that specific individual that relates to the problem statement. Right. Is that like, is that when you say more time, you're talking about like 10, 15 minutes more or. Yeah. It's probably if I'm, you know, because if I have 160 accounts that I'm going after, not all of them are tier one. So any C level contact in my tier one accounts, they're getting that extra time and it's, 20 to 30 minutes per account. And I typically am going after two to three new accounts, tier one per week as an AE. So it's probably like an hour a week that I'm spending on yeah. additional research for C-level contacts. So tier one, tier two, tier three, that's based on our criteria. In, in, are you making that those your tier one? Like, are, Is it up to you to make up those tier one, tier twos and two, or your company provides it? Yeah, I, I, it, for anyone listening, I think it depends on the stage company that you're at. Like we're a series, I don't even know at this point, but later stage companies, they're going to have that built out already. But if you are an earlier stage company, you have to A-B test and you have to try to figure out who's your ideal customer, what industries, what size. And so based on all of those things, your ICP is going to look different. Our ICP at Lattice looks different than our commercial teams. Right. So it really just depends on the uh, the different data points. And then um, uh, we're, we're about pretty much done here and I have a ton of questions. We won't have time. Um, where did you learn all this? <laughs> yeah. Where did I learn all this? I, I learned all of this based on when I was an SDR and I realized that pitching feature functionality just didn't land. And I wasn't setting my AE up for success on his, on his discovery call. A lot of times they just wouldn't qualify. They wouldn't be ready all because I didn't find out if there was a relevant problem or not. And so I think it was through trials and tribulation of not succeeding in the beginning of my role and then realizing by making that switch, how much success I could have. And then I was still winging it every day. And so I had to figure out how can I prospect as an AE every day without like putting it off when it would come up on my calendar. And so I started the, um, the the mindset shift of feature function to problem statements early in my career. Mm-hmm. And then when I became an AE and I realized I didn't have unlimited time, that I needed to develop a system and framework that I could follow every day that would allow me to stay disciplined. Yeah. And are your, are your emails that you're sending those bumps, it, it sounds like they're really custom <clears throat> to who you're sending it out to. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I doubt the nine emails that are going out are automated. Maybe that second bump is automated. Is that a fair statement? Second bump is automated and sometimes the um, the third as well, just depending on the type of person that you're reaching out to. Gotcha. It's cool. kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a, there's so much to unpack. I wish we had more time. Yeah, I know. Two, <laughs> We're like probably going to do a part two of this. There's yeah. a science behind it. Yeah, we could definitely break it down. Um, but yeah, there's like a science behind it. That's cool. Um, all right. Um, we're out of time. So uh, this is your time to shine in terms of promoting yourself. So if you want to let the audience know either where to find you, promote anything that you want to promote, this would be it. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. So I have a free weekly newsletter um, and I focus specifically on prospecting. Um, every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, one new prospecting tip that you can action on every day. 
I've got a prospecting playbook that I'm dropping uh, here in a couple weeks. So figure mid-August it'll be out that outlines a lot of this stuff, has a problem-saving worksheet that you could actually fill out. So um, feel free to grab that uh, when it comes out. But thanks for having me, man. Yeah. This and, is uh, and long I'll, overdue. And I'll put the, the link of uh, obviously your LinkedIn link on the description of the episode um, and uh, up and up. I'll put a link there too. And your awesome, newsletter man. if you have one. Yeah, when you mention Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you found this relevant or practical at all, then please share this episode. Until next time, I'm your host, Mor Asulin.